Hey Dons fans, and welcome to our pre-season question and answer episode of Don the Stat. I'm Ian Hume, and I'm joined not just by my co-host Jonathan Walsh, but also by a group of our Patreon subscribers to dig into some of the burning questions regarding how the Bombers are looking heading into season 2024. Firstly, Jono, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, mate. Uh, footy's creeping back into our lives, isn't it? Uh, uh, sat down and watched the Richmond-Melbourne game from last Sunday. Uh, I think there's been a couple of games played in the last 24 hours as well, which I'll get to over the course of the weekend. And, and of course, we've got the Dons taking on the Saints tomorrow as we record this. So looking forward to that one. Um, so, yeah, life's pretty good, mate, with uh, with footy back and games being played. Yeah, I'm, I'm jealous that you've, you've managed to organise time to get down and, and watch that. It feels like it's been too long since we've, we've seen live footy. So be interesting to hear what you... S- about what you see during that practice match. So before we get into the Q&A, obviously this is a a Patreon event and we've had a big uptake in the Patreon in in the last couple of weeks since we recorded. So as always, I want to acknowledge those people who have joined uh, in the past couple of weeks. And so much appreciation to Red Sash on Black, David Martin, Rupert White, Yusuf Ekbal, Ian English, Derek Jarman, Blake Settle, Paul, Luke Young, Stu, Nick Rudich, Gary Forever, Mark, and Christopher Smith. Um, really blown away by those numbers. That's that's the most we've had joined in a, in such a short period. So really appreciate all that support. You know, you're going to need to take a breath after reading through all of those, but it, it has been huge and echo your sentiments there and, and grateful for the support. I think we're now, we did the, the mass before, didn't we? We're now only, I think, is it five or six members away from catching North Melbourne? So, um, yeah, it's been... Uh, yeah, it's been great to to get that support. Well, at the rate we're picking up members, we might have passed the North Melbourne figure by the time we finish recording this show. So we'll see how we go. Um, and I do notice that there's a couple of people who I just named there who are here tonight. So looking forward to hearing from them. Um, so as I said, we're, we're fortunate enough to be joined by some of the finest people in the world, but people who are willing to give us money to hear us talk football. So once again, really appreciated. Um, we've done two of these in the, in the past and, and they've been some of the most fun uh, episodes we've recorded, and I'm expect that tonight will be no exception. Uh, there's a lot of familiar faces and familiar voices for for Don the Stat listeners, and again, there'll be some new new blood as well. Um, we're going to start with one of our biggest supporters, and, and biggest in the sense that he joins us from the other side of the world. You, you would have heard him a couple of times already on Don the Stat, and that is Toby. Toby, how are you doing? Good, thank you. It's always good fun. Looking forward to these events and. Uh... It feels really good that the season's about to start soon. Um, I My question is, we're going to rotate a fair few people during the game tomorrow against St. Kilda, which is all good. Uh, what do we want to see? What are we expecting? What what would be a good takeout from the practice match tomorrow? That's my first question. Yeah, good question, mate. Um, and and Gail, who's uh, joined us tonight, actually asked a similar question early. So we'll, we'll kill a couple of birds with with one stone here. Uh, uh, look, every club treats these games differently and looks to get different things out of them. And it's a little bit hard to to truly know what, what our coaches' plans were. We, looks like we've named as a, a you know competitive squad as, as we can in terms of availability. I know there's a couple of guys that, that we've been rested or uh, what's the term these days, managed or deloaded or whatever the, the latest buzz term is. But... Um, but yeah, I I think it it's seeing how the the four recruits set in. 
obviously um, all four of the experienced guys that we picked up in Gresham, Dersman, McKay and Goldstein have been picked. So we get our first chance to see them in red and black. Uh, curious to see how we use Nick Martin, but but less about Nick Martin himself and more how we cover for him defensively. The, the talk uh, was that Jake Kelly had been playing a little bit of that role, sort of starting on a wing and then dropping back to allow Martin to get up the ground. Kelly's got some some hamstring concerns, so he won't be there. So how do we cover for that otherwise? Or uh, And what else does Nick Martin do throughout a game? I'm, I'm curious because I'm not sure that ultimately come season proper, he's going to play four quarters of footy every week starting at halfback. I'm really looking forward to see how the, the you know, what's fundamentally a new back six set up around McKay and Reed and and sorry, Mackay, we got told off on that one recently, didn't we hear me? Uh Mackay and, and Reed and, and how that all structures up around them. Uh so yeah, first look at that against a, a real opposition. And then I think the big one for me that's going to take some time is how our forward line gels and how that starts to to take shape. Right and Jones haven't played a game together with Langford as a genuine forward because if you remember back, you know, right uh, missed the first half of the season, and then by the time he was back, Jones was was out injured himself. So uh, that that trio of key forwards or, or marking options in our forward line haven't really played together yet. So um, I'm curious to see how that um, you know takes shape over the next couple of weeks. But I, I think it'll be pretty scrappy. There's lots of new players. It's the first hit out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't expect it to be slick and fast and and open. I think most practice matches kind of follow a little bit of a pattern and it's scrappy early gets a little bit willing for a little while and then uh and then it sort of just becomes circle work for for the rest of the game so yeah i think it's it's more about some individual players for me than than sort of game styles or or anything like that at this stage yeah i I think we'll get a better sense of of game style when we see the geelong game where it's much more of a there's there's less you know made up stuff or there's less you know more about these first ones seem to be more about load management, um, getting players out there for a run, and probably the one closer to the the start of the season, we'll, we'll start to see more of a a game plan, you know, being executed there by a side that probably will look a lot like what round one will look like. I think just building on what Jono said, a couple of things I'm interested to see is how we adapt to the new ruck rule. Um, I think Jono's pointed out before that Todd Goldstein, you know, this, the the way in which the the arm out change has been made will really benefit someone like him. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes up against a, a much more athletic ruckman in, in say Rowan Marshall. Um, and I'm also looking forward to seeing how Ben Mackay and Zach Reed combine, particularly when you consider St Kilda's got, you know, Max King down there, uh, seeing maybe seeing if we can Reed gets to play on him as the number one or they go for um Mackay, just to see how that works, but even just to see Zach Reed out there playing football, I think is going to be really exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks for your question, Toby. Let's pass on to Jamie. Jamie, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. Hume, how are you? <clears throat> yeah, no complaints here. Bit- that's all right. Thanks for joining um, us three hours behind. No, that's okay. It's uh, 4, 4.30 instead of 7.30 for me. You interrupted the Suns game, but that's okay. I was looking out for my super coach team, but... Um, I guess I'll follow on. You both mentioned the structure down back, and you and you both called out, you know, Mackay and Reed, and obviously Ridley's not there tomorrow. So maybe this is more for what do we expect as the season goes on? But we've called out many times throughout the last sort of couple of years about where we turn the ball over and 
historically we've probably let it get too far into our backline before we create any turnovers. And I'm curious what you think might happen this year and where we might try to turn it over and if any stats are going to show us that and, and yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I noticed uh, Lewis Hayes is in the squad, so I wonder if there's a, a you know, that could just be giving, a, you know, a young guy who's by all reports had a good preseason to, you know, a little bit of a taste, but maybe they're going to use him in the Ridley role just so that the rest of the planned defensive structure can kind of, you know, not be compromised by not having Ridley there. So it, it will be a little bit interesting to to see how that one, um, yeah, that one plays out. We we didn't really track defensive 50 and forward 50 turnovers last season, but we did keep a, a close eye on midfield turnovers. And, and just for some context on, on the 2023 season, so the top six teams in the home and away were Melbourne, Port, Adelaide, GWS and St Kilda. They all averaged 32 midfield turnovers per game. So that's opposition turnovers, them winning the ball back off the opposition between the two 50-metre arcs. Uh, uh, so, yeah, three of the top six plus the Giants who ended up in a prelim. So it was a, uh, you know, it, it wasn't a definitive in- indicator that that was going to lead to success, but but the better teams typically did that, that better than most. We were 16th with 27th a game and only North and West Coast uh, were below us. Collingwood were 29.7 and they were eighth. Brisbane were 13th on 28.6. So it's not a huge difference. 32, you know, the, the top few sides down to us at 16th at 27th and then the two grand finalists at 28 and 29. But it's, uh, you know, it, increasing the number of turnovers you get in the middle of the ground by two a game is, you know, it's, a, it's the opportunity cost, isn't it? It, it? You're giving yourselves or ourselves two extra opportunities to go back forward and score. And then you're taking two opportunities away from the opposition by not allowing it to get over you and, and into your defensive 50. And if you look at the way that our our season unfolded last year, take away obviously what happened in the last two games, we had a number of, of you know, two, three goal losses or one, two, three goal losses that, that a little bit of an improvement in that area could have meant an extra two or three wins for us. And we did have patches during the year where we were good at it, we had 44 against Melbourne uh, and only I think three or four times was that bettered by any team throughout the season. We had 32 the week before against the Giants. And I think that was probably the best, almost the best defensive game I think we played last year. And then that stretch between round 12 and round 22, where our form was up and down, there was definitely a shift in our defensive setup and we did try to get higher up the ground and that, that saw benefit and it also saw saw risk. But we have we averaged twenty eight point seven during that period. So we're sort of around the the Collingwood and Brisbane mark before obviously falling away at the end. So I, I think it'll you know, we, we won't have data on the game, but we'll get a bit of an indicator just from watching it whether we see some improvements there. Uh and and you know the ultimate measure for me over the early parts of the season is is are we actually reducing the number of of inside fifties we're conceding because I think uh, the rest of it's just a uh, you know the uh, the the metrics that support I, I guess our our ability to to ultimately reduce scores. So I think the question mark is uh, you know that they've talked a lot of or we've seen a lot of heard a lot of stories about the improved fitness and the maturity and the standards. You know does that 
eventuate in more players being able to run from contest and contest and get up and down the ground? Does the addition of Gresham and, and Dersma also help with pressure and, and that sort of contested piece as well? And then does McKay or Mackay give us that really strong piece to anchor the rest of your back line around? So, uh, yeah, sorry, long-winded answer to what was a simple question, but we that's kind of the Don the Stat brand, isn't it? Thanks, Jamie, for your question. Hopefully, Jono's answer covered that for you. We're going to go to another uh, regular on Don the Stat, and uh, Crooksy. Crooksy, how are you doing? My question, I, I tend to try and match Essendon up with the top four teams, the Premiers, and who's up the top, and see if we can mirror that. And um, the Premiers had the Norm Smith medalist in Bobby Hill. The runners-up had Charlie Cameron. Carlton had uh, Jesse Motlop. Uh, the Demons have got Cozzy Pickett. Um, who's going to play that role for Essendon? Do we have – I always thought it would be one of the Davy boys, but I don't know if they're close to the top 23 at the moment. And on top of that um, – I think I'm right. Peter Wright won the Crichton medal in 2022 and then injured last year. So the expectation on Peter Wright, like my expectation is if Nick Larkey can kick up to 70 goals, Not, I think Larkey's a terrific player, but I don't think Peter Wright's any any lesser player. Um, What's the ceiling on Peter Wright? They're my two for the experts. I think on the the Peter Wright point, I'll let I'll let Jono talk about the small forward because I think we know who he wants to talk about. Um, I think <laughs> is it a number between forty six and forty eight? Maybe. Uh, <laughs> I want. I think with the Peter Wright question, firstly, is he is he playing second ruck? So, like, I guess that that if he's you know doing twenty twenty five percent main ruck time, then that probably li- puts a limit on his on his output. Um, I think it does seem like we'll probably go with two. Two Ruckman, I feel like that's that's where they're headed and Brad Scott's history suggests the two Ruckman is his angle, but the game will, will know more come round one. I think that that's a part of it. Jono mentioned it earlier, the, how do how do Langford and Wright work together? How, how are they having now spent a pre-season learning each other's running patterns? Uh, one of the things that's been pointed out about pre-season training is that they're, they're always on the same side, so they're learning how to play together during match sim, they're getting a bit of a sense of that. I have noticed um, the, the couple of times I have been down, they do like to play Langford as the, the deeper forward and, and right roams a little bit more. So that could limit his his output from that end. But, you know, I think you, you talked about Nick Larkey. Yes, he did a great job and kicked 70 goals, but he's the only he was the only really key forward or the only forward that was really doing anything for North. So eventually he's probably one of the most targeted players in the AFL. And, you know, that leads to a really good goal-kicking tally, but is that what's best for the team overall? Like if, I, you know, Peter Reich will kick 70 goals next year, but we could go backwards because we're, we're fo- focusing on him as a target. I mean, ideally you'd have a scenario where, where Langford and Wright are both kicking 50 goals and suddenly you're getting more dangerous because you have two key targets that have to be have to be focused on. So I don't think we should be necessarily saying Peter Wright has to kick you know, 70 goals. I think it's it's how does it all work together and, and how do they play together? Yeah, the grand finalists had slightly different models, didn't they? The, the Joe Danaher kicked 61 and 
and Cameron 59 for the year. So they had two genuine, you know, high output goal kickers with, uh, you know, Hipwood and then a, a host of other contributors with, you know, Zach Bailey and uh, uh, Lincoln McCarthy and, uh, you know, four or five other guys who could pop up with three or four on, on any given day, whereas pie, the pies were much more about sharing the load and, and spread. And, uh, you know, in terms of the, the output of our, our tallers right and right and Langford, I think it's it's very much can our you know, I, I don't think we necessarily need to see Langford kick fifty one goals again and I don't think we necessarily need to see um Wright kick sixty or seventy, but if they can contribute in equal parts to to us uh, you know, obviously increasing our overall score, but also creating more space and uncertainty for opposition defenders that ultimately reduces the number of times the ball comes in and straight back out just because we're more competitive in the air than we have been in the past, then I think the sum of those parts is going to help us become a, a better footy team. We don't have a small forward like Bobby Hill who can turn a game at the moment. I think, uh, you know, I was talking to someone today on on Twitter about the Davies and they're, they're, they've only just turned 20. Their, their dad was 23 or almost 23 when he debuted. So they're, uh, you know, uh, all indicators are that they're, they're going to take a little while to mature. I'm obviously a Menzi fa- fan and, and I'll avoid the, the long um, wind up about him. But if you look at putting the grand final, well, not putting the grand final side, including it in his numbers, Bobby Hill averaged 1.4 goals a game last year. Menzi was 1.1. Um, tackles, they were exactly the same, 2.3 each. Uh, and score involvements, they were four to Menzi, 4.3 to uh, to Bobby Hill. So their their output was, was rather similar. Um, I just don't think that Bobby Hill has a level of consistency in his game that we're starting to see in Menzi. I don't think Menzi has the upside to break a game open uh, and, and turn a game like we saw Bobby Hill do in the grand final. I think our players that are going to be capable of that are more likely to be guys like Stringer. I think Perkins potentially has that in him. I think Gresham can do it as well. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, – there's no one shape or size anymore. So, I think uh, I think we're going to have to tackle it a different way than, than the way the Pies did. Yeah, and I think just talking about those other clubs that you brought up, they've got multiple – good options in those, in those areas, you know, so obviously the pies last year had, had Hill, but they also had um, Ginevan and, and things like that. They could play a similar role. And it, it meant that you didn't just have one player that you could sit on. You had to have multiple options. And I think most of the good sides at the moment have those multiple good, small forward options. So for example, us as Essendon, we've got one really good small defender in, in Andy McGrath who can lock down on, on a small forward but if you've got multiple then suddenly you know that creates a lot of headaches for teams and I still think we are trying to find out who that who the obviously what the best forward mix is and I think we've got a bit of a, a glut of me, medium-sized forwards which is good in one way but also causes lineup issues of trying to get these players into the lineup but we also just don't know who our best small forwards are I agree with Jono that the Menzi starts as, as number one in that small forward with Gresham up as that high half forward, but you know, he's, he's not a lock. If you know, a, a Davy or a Wanganen can get, uh, get fit and, and get firing, that spot could be taken by one of them. So we're still in sort of that unknown phase where we don't know who is going to fill that role going forward. 
Yeah, that's right. Matt. And just one more point on on the Menzi v Hill comparison. Bobby Hill played last year as a 23-year-old, Menzi as a 20-year-old. So there's also, you know, some maturity and upside in Jai's game that that we haven't quite seen yet. And, you know, it, he's really, really sickly was only in his first season last year. Thanks, Crooksy. We're going to go to Derek, someone who joined our Patreon the last couple of weeks. It's good to meet you, Derek. And uh, what's your question? Um, well, I had a small forward-related one. So I've come up with a different one on the fly. Um, and this might, you might actually end up with a one-word answer based on either insight or guesswork. But at games, something I see happen a lot, which is frustrating as hell, is when our forward line empties completely just because the ball's been stuck down in, the, in our back line for a while. So if we, we, we can't get it out, gradually all the players just kind of move into the opposition 50. And for a team that kind of like wins or loses based on fast breaks, I always thought it was a pretty stupid result. So my question is, do you think that's a breakdown of structure or is it planned and ordered by the coaches? Or neither? <laughs> Or all of the above at various times, possibly. Uh, look, I think we had some players last year in our forward line who either aren't natural forwards or at times, or not even at times, aren't aren't natural footballers or don't don't have high football IQ. I guess is the the buzz term, right? And I think that that often led to to spectating uncertainty about where they should position themselves. Uh, uh, what to do next? We 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 just have some guys who are spectators, and and that includes some some young players who have got high, um, uh, you know, high upside, big futures. You know, a player like like Ben Hobbs is someone who last year often playing half forward would get caught out of position and not know where to go, and and that's not necessarily on him. He's never really played that role until he got into the to the AFL system. So uh, look, I I think the the short answer is it was just all of the above sometimes it would have been planning get numbers or the plan get numbers down the other end try and flood the contest slow it down and win momentum back through a fast break we were pretty good for a lot of last year or parts of last year at getting the ball end to end weren't so good always at stopping it coming back the other way but we were pretty good at taking it from one end to the other ourselves uh we didn't have that anchor point either without Peter Wright for a lot of the year. He he obviously really straightens us up. He, you know, Kyle Langford did a great job, but he's not that demanding key forward, kick it to me in a contest type. Uh, and then, yeah, I think just at times a lack of genuine small forwards with genuine forward craft and guys who can get up and down the ground. Uh, yeah, Gresham's going to add a lot to, to how we do handle those situations this year, I think. Yeah, just just building on that, I think another reason for for that problem is that we don't have those big marking targets down the line, sort of the the get out kick. Uh, obviously, as Jono pointed out, with Peter Wright out, but even then, he's not a massive, you know, take a contested mark and be able to move. And I think what that leads to is that the players feel like they have to get up the ground in order to in order to contribute to to getting the ball back down the other end. And I think that. That leads to that that you know empty empty forward line because they don't they can't trust that the player will be able to win the contested ball on the wing, so that they've got um, the time to get get the ball forward and they feel like 
the only way the ball's going to get forward is if they can get numbers to the ball. But then that creates the problem that you brought up, that you, when you do win the ball in that situation, you know, your players are streaming down with the defender next to them. And so you don't get that that fast movement there. Yeah, I think that's also where our, our rucks have been found deficient because they're not taking those marks on the wing uh, and helping out in that process. But Yeah, yeah or, or our forwards. I, I, I don't... There's not a lot of, other than maybe English last year, there, there aren't a lot of Ruckmen anymore taking, you know, big amounts of marks. I think I think that's that Ruck role sort of evolved a little bit. But, you know, Jones is someone who, you know, he has his critics, but he is good structurally and he does he does get up the ground very well. And he does defend well, uh, for particularly for it. I mean, he's not, he's not, when I say big guy, he's not Peter Wright, but he is... Um, he is typically pretty good at at defending and, and pressuring. So look, I yeah, I, I think just back to to all of those things. It's it's just a it's a sum of its parts, and uh, just one of the the many areas where we need to get better. Uh, and and I think it's got better through the additions of of Dersma, um and Gresham, and and you know Jamie in the chats mentioned um, Durham as well and, and his improved fitness I think will help that as well. We we'll just have more guys this year who can who can run up and back and get from contest to contest and, and I think that should help uh not just you know our forward structure but also our defensive structure as well and um and everything in between. Yeah. Big fingers crossed Harry can stay on the park because I'm a fan. Uh, I think that that's the big thing for for our entire list, right? And and what twenty twenty four looks like if if you know it's good to have depth but you don't want your depth playing. You, you want them, ideally, they're in the VFL and putting pressure on the guys that are in the AFL to continue to improve and and, and perform because, yeah, that, that depth get, gets eroded pretty quickly if all of a sudden four or five of your best players are out and um, and they're being filled by, with guys who aren't in your best side. It, it, it brings us, you know, well down very, very quickly. Well, thanks, Derek, for, for your question. Uh, let's go with Matt now. Thank you. Yeah, guys, um, uh, bear with me because I've only just 20 minutes ago heard the Kane ball with you, so I'm still gathering myself. N- not happy about that at all. I was going to have actually going to ask a question about um, whether Reedy or, uh, or Kane should be uh, getting the, the Guernsey in round one, but uh, obviously we know what that's going to be now. So, um, But look, I was listening to, I think it might have been one of the other pods the other day, but um, obviously there's some good content outside of you guys as well. Um, so he's listening to Andy McGrath talk and he said, obviously, you know, he's towing the company line as Brad Scott always does when they ask the typical question about the, you know, um, you know, are you going to put a ceiling on this season and all that kind of stuff. Um, I reckon he was listening to us uh, at the end of his last season. I was on that call and I made the point about how I could always get a little bit frustrated when the expectations are very low, um, especially given, and I made the point that he's, that, I talked to a mate of mine and even though he's a Richmond supporter and they've had a lot of success, he said, you know, all the lists are really even, like they're super even and it's just not, um, you know, maybe it comes down to coaching, better luck, injuries, that kind of stuff. Anyway, they threw the question at McGrath the other day and uh, he basically said the same thing. It was the first time I've heard anyone kind of say that and um, while he didn't put a, obviously want to put a number on it and wins, finals, whatever, he, he was very keen to stress that same point that, look, I think what what he was trying to say was there was no excuses, basically. You know, we've got a great list. We've got some great recruits. We've got some great draft picks. We've got some senior players now. You know, 
now's the time. And he even I think he even made the comment that, um, you know, we know the supporters are frustrated and um, while we can't say, you know, now's our time, he goes, we want it to be this year. So, look, based on that, I was really happy to hear that because um, I think it's about time someone said it at the club. So I just thought as a question, maybe just perhaps just throw it around to everyone and just what what's the uh, what defines a successful year for us? I mean, I think we're as well positioned as we've been for some time and, you know, top six for me, at least one final, you know, a win, you know. A, Get, let's get to a prelim. That's where I'm thinking. What does everyone else think? I like. I do like your thinking. I like I like to aim. I like the idea of aiming big, and I don't think any any side should. No side should ever go into an AFL season or a season like even if you play local sport. You know, you should never go into a season thinking that you're not a chance of winning the whole thing. Because yeah. I mean, there's there's a, there's uh, a big to differ, North Melbourne. Haven't you haven't you seen how they've reacted to their their win over over Collingwood? They're already lining up for the grand final tickets. Yeah. Um, I don't think you put a a little a, you know a ceiling on the expectation of result. I think where, where things are different with the with the language coming out of the club and the players. You mentioned McGrath, and I think Redmond said something similar a few days before. Um, how about about the players' responsibility? I think. The expectation needs to be on the level of effort and preparation as opposed to the results. I think, you know, there's a whole spiel about trust the process and and things like that. But I think if you get, the idea is that if you can get everything else right, the results will take care of themselves. And I think there's been a bit of consternation about some of the ways that's been expressed. But I think it does sound like the language emanating from the club is about higher expectations on the players in terms of their effort, in terms of their preparation. And I know it's, you know, it's it's hard because we're, we're not a successful club. We haven't been a successful club. And so people don't know what it takes. And I think the expectation now is they're really going to push the players to do more in terms of that effort, in terms of that preparation, so that they can achieve the success that you're talking about. Um, and just bringing on to something Jono said before, the depth is going to play a key part in that because if we don't have the depth and the injuries will will play a part in that, you don't have that pressure to say, you know, player A, you haven't been putting in the effort of training or you haven't been putting the effort into recovery. We're going to pick player B who's been playing well in the VFL um, because they have been doing all that. So we haven't had that pressure on on certain players. And hopefully with the, with the depth that we've built with the list with the new recruits, that's, that internal pressure will lead to better external results. And so, yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, yeah. I know it's only, yeah. uh, it has the risk of only being perceived as a small thing, but, but I do know that the playing group and in particularly the leaders were involved in the, the brand development for this year in terms of the messaging that that's gone out. And, and I, most of you would have got a, a member's email today for the first time that had the squad in it for for tomorrow's game and you know a couple of other updates and and the tagline that the club's gone with this year is be bold be brave be a bomber and um that um and also a change to the logo which uh is might um uh, raise some eyebrows i've gone with the it's the same logo but just that red version that got rolled out a little bit last year so um uh, so yeah, I, I think there's some some symbolism in that 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 the talk of 
you know, last year around talking expectations down is, um, uh, you know, is a thing of the past. And and this year that, you know, there's there's no no ceiling on what we might be able to do. But I think Hume is right. The expectation and the talk around process and, and day by day is just is just that continual improvement to make every output better than the, the previous one. And then the, the results in theory from there on then look after themselves. But, yeah, yeah, internally, yeah. I agree. Yeah, what I'm thinking more, and look, I would, you know, been a coach before as well in other sports and I exactly preach that sort of message, but that's internally. What, what do we think as a fan base though? Like I'm, I'm, you can, you get the feeling everyone's, you know, bubbling really because of the, the recruits and, you know, injuries are looking reasonably good. And I mean, are, are we thinking like what I suggested or are people still a bit pessimistic about this whole thing? I, I'm of the opinion that, as I said, every team, I think, is a poss- going into a season is a possibility of making it and, and winning, winning the premiership. Where we might differ from other teams is that we need a lot more to go right. The best the best teams have contingencies when, when things go wrong. A player goes down, they can fill that role. At the moment, we're still working out. I think the depth increases that. I think there's a lot of things that happen outside of your control, right? Other teams can can jump past you. Injuries can can play a part. The way your draw plays out, um, and it seems like yeah, all things being equal, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all things be all things being equal. A good run with injury, um, I don't see why we can't because we've shown that our best is capable of beating the best sides, um, or you know being you know well up at three quarter time against the eventual premier. Uh, it's just a matter of where we we can be at our best for longer, and that's what a lot of the talk is emanating from the club about. You know, more more focus on on process and effort should lead to being that. So I I agree with you that if things go right, and not not a whole lot has to go right. If just as I said, it's that injury. You know, if we get a good run with injuries, I think we should be up at that level. But again, you know, you, there's things outside of your control. So if they can control the controllables and they have that good luck with injury, I don't see why what you say can't be achieved. Yeah, it's an even competition, right? I, and I think what what the best sides have that we don't at the moment, apart from an ability to keep a, a healthy list, is some star power that that we don't have a lot of depth in. I think where our, our list is probably now as even. Um, from, you know, our, our sort of 10 through to, to 25, 28 on our list is, is, is as even as any of, of the clubs um, that, that were playing in, you know, or finishing the top four last year. But but we still don't have that depth in in superstar power. Uh, you know, Zach Merritt is, is probably our only truly elite, consistent footballer at, at the moment. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, and I've said this before. So I, I think the the changes to our list have improved our floor. I, I don't expect again, all things being equal, injury, et cetera, et cetera, that we we will have the drop offs in performance that we had last year if we can use that depth to to our advantage. What I'm not certain on yet is where our ceiling is at and whether that's extended. And I think the big question marks on that is can McKay Mackay go from being a, a good um you know, key defender to a very good one. Can Reed come on? Probably not in 2024 because he needs some games under his belt. But but go from a talented youngster to to being a a really really good footballer. 
can those two together allow Ridley to get back to 2020 form and beyond that and and be you know put his name up to to be a, an all australian player again um uh, you know then can the forward line gel and then the guys I, I touched on before, Nick Martin, you know, what's his ceiling? We probably still don't really know. Can he go to another level? Can Can Perkins, you know, he's teased us so far, um, but can he unleash that star power? Can we keep Jake Stringer fit and and can he have a big impact? That That's the bit for me that that is still the biggest question mark on whether, you know, we keep a healthy list, we win three more games than last year and and get into the eight and, and compete to maybe win a final and, and have a, a season like, you know, Sydney or, or Carlton, if we're lucky enough, um, had this year, or can we genuinely add some superstar elite or find some elite players to go into the, or players to go into the next bracket and become elite players to then propel us forward and, and, and how soon does that happen? Yeah, that's fair. Cheers, Matt. Uh, we're going to go next to Craig. Craig, how are you? I think I'll follow on from Matt. I think it's a, for me it's a case of expectation versus reality. What is our reality compared to what we expect? I think at the moment our reality is that we're still learning and building um, a system and a process, and I think we won't know until mid-season – where we are as a club and whether we can have higher expectations or whether it's going to stay where we were last year. So that's where I'm at with all that. Um, so my question was, when I asked you today, Jono, um, was the centre clearance differential compared to around the ground differential and how that compares to the opposition, the best teams in the league? Yeah, thanks for for sending that through, mate. Uh, yeah, so centre clearance differential. The top four teams last year were Hawthorne, Brisbane, Port Adelaide, and the Western Bulldogs. So you've got two of the top four teams there, and two that didn't make finals. Albeit the Bulldogs, you know, I think most would acknowledge didn't get the most out of of the list that they had last year. So not a huge correlation there between centre clearance differ- differential and, and ultimate success. And I think for us, if we think back to that 2021 season, it was our one wood, wasn't it? You know, Stringer bursting out of, of the centre, Parrish and, and Merritt alongside him. And, uh, and and that was how we were winning games of footy. And that that ultimately wasn't sustainable. I, I think you'd... you'd oops. Sorry, I accidentally muted myself there. Uh, you'd rather win clearance than not. But Collingwood were 11th. Uh, and we were just ahead of them in 10th. So the Pies were minus four in the grand final and went on to one. But what the Pies were really good at, and and it sort of speaks to what we were talking about just before in terms of that star power, is they were good all season in adjusting their setup and the mix that they had in at the centre clearance and using guys like Pendlebury and Sidebottom and you know Nick Dacos to go uh to to go in there when they needed them and and change the momentum of the game and and it ultimately won them the grand final in the end that you know their last goal came that way uh so so yeah so that's center clearances and then around the ground stoppage clearances brisbane was ranked number one for stoppage differential collingwood were 11th so the grand finalists were, were first and 11th carlton port adelaide and melbourne were all in the top six so i think there's a little bit more correlation there of the ability to create stoppages is really important because otherwise, you're, you know, to be able to slow the game down and, and halve contests when you're not 
uh, when, when you're potentially in a, in a position to to lose the ball and have it go the other way, uh, does a lot to protect your back six. Uh, but then also once you've locked it down to be able to win it and take territory. Uh, so we were 14. So, uh, so yeah, a little bit more of a correlation there, but, but where there's probably a little bit of a bigger correlation was in contested possession. Four of the top five played finals and six of the finalists had a positive contested possession differential over the season. Sydney and Port were the two that were uh, an exception to the rule. We were minus 2.8 a game. So, you know, I think, you know, contest is still, Obviously, really, really important. It's that old footy adage, if you've got the ball, they don't. So, yeah, centre clearance, not a huge one. I even think at times last year when we did win it, we weren't effective in winning it. A lot of shallow entries that then came out the other way. So, uh, yeah, I didn't have time to to grab scores from centre clearances there. But, Do you reckon uh, missing um, Setterfield for half last year didn't help? Yeah, I think so. Fit- I think, uh, yeah, I, I think we, we looked a better team. Uh, when he was when he was in, we we had a little bit more structure. So um, so yeah, I I do think that he helps to have that big body. It helps merit and parish out, and then it also helps to uh, to slow down. You know, we think of some of the jobs or or you know work that he put into the likes of Oliver at times last year. I think um, helped us a lot as well. So yeah, I think he'll be a welcome return this year. And I think just on that. It- what what John pointed out there about the where teams like Brisbane and, and Collingwood rank, you know, yes, Collingwood are the premiers, but it was it was by a very small margin. There's there's a world where where Brisbane win that win that grand final, and, and then we're looking at Brisbane as as the uh, the team to look at. I guess the thing about that is that how important a sending clearance is to you depends on how your team sets up. So obviously. Brisbane really rely on on clearance to to generate scoring, whereas you've got a team like Collingwood that are, that are pretty happy to to sit back and and rely on their intercepting to to generate their their scoring. But Richmond were the same, weren't they? Yeah, well, Rich, if you look at Richmond's numbers in their premiership yeah. year, they're they're way down below in in terms of clearance numbers, and not they were not int- really interested in, in winning the clearance. Their their goal was to you know harry harry the the kick from the clearance um, and win when the when the game was was out in the open and, and just out, out harass, you know, there's, there's teams that, that really like set, because if you think about a centre clearance or, or a stoppage clearance, the team has time to set up their defensive structures. And so for, for a lot of teams, that's that's what they want to do. They have that defensive structure and then they can turn it on, um, into, turn it into attack. And again, you, you don't, you'd rather win the centre clearance than not. But again, it depends on A, how well you use it and B, how well your opponents are set up to to counter that. So, you know, it's interesting to see where we go. As, as Johnny pointed out a couple of years ago, we were really reliant on, on centre clearance and we're not as reliant on it now, but we haven't quite built up the rest of the game to to make up for the fact we're not as dominant at centre clearance as we were in 2021 when we did push for finals. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, how things play out. And, again, it could just be a, a personnel issue. You, you mentioned Setterfield. Um, we've had another year of, of Ben Hobbs and, and Jai Caldwell working their way into the system and, and learning. Archie Perkins is, is taking some time. Uh, a fit Jake Stringer we saw with the um, yep. we saw with the Geelong game, just how impactful he can be, even though we didn't end up winning that game. He, he arguably played the game of his career as a midfielder there. So, Again, we'll learn a lot more over the next couple of weeks about how we want to play and then how important things like centre clearance and stoppage clearance are going to be for our potential success. Well, I reckon if we get our back line set up correctly, 
um, then I think we will be less reliant on center clearances and we'll be able to, if we need to, intercept in the right manner at the right spot, not necessarily rely on clearances and stoppages and stuff. Yeah. I actually think it's it's more about our midfield defensive setup that's important. Uh-huh. I think our, our back six is, is pretty good. Um, we saw that at the start of last year when we were inviting – uh, inviting the ball in and, and, and winning the ball back. We were really good at that part. So I think our defensive back six is really good and the addition of Mackay should only improve that. It's the, can the midfield set up to create those mid-zone turnovers that, that John O'Turk talks about yeah. um, that will, will probably be the bigger difference as to whether we can be successful as an intercept side. Yeah, and, and just to round that that out a little bit, Hume and Craig, one of the other questions Craig asked today was, is there an area in terms of, you know, key stats where we are in the positive compared to some of the best teams? And uh, sort of to, to combine that in and, and closing out Collingwood and, and where they're really good, I think the game has evolved a fair bit over the last couple of years. I think the game has had a habit of chasing the Premier. And I think now teams are more prepared to go with a game style that suits their their playing list and, and who they've got available. Uh, but all the best teams have, you know, similar traits. They stay healthy, as we spoke about. They pressure well. They minimise opposition inside 50s. They keep the ball in their forward half. But how they do it, how they wrap it around it, what they value is different. Their ball movement is different. You know, Brisbane, you know, really rely on freeing up one or two of their defenders to intercept, whereas Collingwood have five or six guys at any point in time who can do it. Obviously, Darcy Moore's the the, the pinnacle there, but... But, you know, Quainor's really good at it. Maynard's really good at it. They can send, uh, uh, you know, a couple of their mids, Pendlebury and, and the like back there, and they can do it too. So so they share the load. But Collingwood's probably a team that we do share the most traits with on a pure statistical perspective. But that, um, that doesn't mean we rank highly. They were, they were 11th for opposition inside 50 efficiency. So 11th best or what's the reverse there? Seventh worst at at the number of scores per inside 50 that their opponents had or what we, our opponents had, Collingwood were 10th. Collingwood were, or we were 10th, sorry, for kick to handball ratio. So we had the 10th most kicks in the competition to every handball. Collingwood were 13th. We were 10th for um, center clearance differential. The Pies were 11th. We allowed the fourth most marks to our opponent last season. And that got some criticism from AFL pundits. Collingwood were fifth. They, They kind of set up, better, albeit with more talent and more pressure through the middle um, than we do. So I don't think Collingwood does anything exceptional in terms of any of the typical AFL metrics that we expect to see from a premiership team, except for one thing. They they just consistently execute more than any other team in the competition under pressure. They adjust to the situation of the game better than most teams that I've seen. Uh, you know, Jamie touched on it in, in the chat when – when they have momentum, they take advantage of it and they score and they don't let teams get momentum back off them easily. And then when they don't have momentum, they're really good at at shutting the game down and slowing it down until they can wrestle control back. And then they just have absolute flexibility. They have, you know, 15 or, or 16 guys in their 22 that can play in all thirds of the ground. They have real trust and cohesion, you know, from their best player to, uh, and his name, um, escapes me that came in for the grand final and just played a role. Um, 
there who came in and played uh, replaced McStay, uh, the guy from the Crows. But anyway, um, and and then they just do that week in and week out. The gap between their best and their worst is is so so small. So I think in game styles, there's some similarities with us, Frampton. Thanks, James. Uh, but yeah, their ability to to do it week in week out compared to ours is is still worlds apart. Is that scenario based when they do a lot of that at training, and that just over time they learn at the right moment to do the right things? Yeah, that, I mean that's what what we hear, isn't it? I, I, I obviously don't go to to Collingwood training, but but those that do um, talk about that. The the other thing is that they're now the um, the oldest list in in the competition. So you know, I think our average age is about twenty four and their average age is about 27 or something like that. So, um, so yeah, they, they've just got a much more mature team who have been in the system for a, a lot longer. Yeah. Just, just cool. finally on, on that there, before we, we go to James, um, I, I, I didn't watch the Collingwood North Melbourne, uh, practice match, but they did stop, you know, after each, after a couple of quarters and actually run a, you know, a five minute scenario where no. one team was down by, by six there. So, you know, they clearly train it. And I think it's probably something other teams are going to spend a lot more time on given how successful Collingwood's been at it. But thanks. Thanks, Craig, for your question and your ongoing support. I'm going to go to James now. James, how are you doing? Oh, good, mate. Um, a question that I had, in some ways it's kind of been asked, but I'll go there anyway, a bit of a summary. So firstly, I'm not a huge fan of this stat around Essendon having not won a final for a period of time. As far as I'm concerned, you win a premiership or you don't. So my question is around, look, Essendon's got the most top 10 picks in the AFL. Um, and I think I, I'm a, quite bullish on the upside of our list. Um, but I'd be interested, if you were in the coach's box, John O'Hearney, and you suddenly morphed overnight into Brad Scott, if you could fix or improve three aspects of Essendon, that would take us from a team with a bit of talent, a bit of potential into actually a top four side, what would be the first three things you'd focus on? Yeah, I think part of it is just maturity, mate. This is a really boring answer and this is something that you can't solve in in the coach's box. But but just, just quickly, Collingwood, 92 uh, average games per player, Melbourne, 84, Brisbane, 78. You know, there's three of your top four. Um Port Adelaide dropped down the list, but we saw what happened when they got into finals. Uh, we're at 75, so not that far behind Brisbane, actually, but a fair way behind Collingwood. So I think another 20-odd games into some of the guys that we've spoken about already, Perkins, uh, Hobbs, Menzi, Caldwell, you know, all, all of these guys is just going to help us become a, a much more resilient side to be able to switch gears within matches and find that consistency that... Um, that um, that Collingwood have that uh, Collingwood of 2023 isn't something that happened overnight. That's something that they've been building towards even even pre um, McRae. Uh, but I I think for me the the main one is just getting that uh, getting more players who instinctively move from attack to defence and the other way around. And and the more and more that we can reduce the what I call spectating that, you know, I kick it and then that's it and, and wait and see what happens it's rather than, you know, kicking and then going to put on a shepherd or getting to the next contest or getting back to help out your your teammate. And, and we see that from a lot of our players, young and 
and and old. If we can if we can fix that, then uh, then that would be that would be big. I I think Brad Scott probably sat back a fair bit last year and and just watched. We we certainly seem to go into more games with more notice of the opposition and some of their strengths and and individual players than we had in previous years, but we didn't seem to do a lot within games to change things up. So I think that's the other part of the evolution that I would like to see this year is that we're, we're making a few more moves on, on game day where we need it to, to stop or, or change the, the flow of a game. So I'm not sure if that directly answers your question, but they're the things that came to mind for me. Can we, while we're, while I've got the floor, can we ask Jamie to explain why he doesn't rate Nate Caddy? I knew that question was coming, James. <laughs> I just want to hose down some of the expectations, mate. That's all. Um, <laughs> it's like what I do with Ben Hobbs. Yeah, I know. While I do have the, the mic, though, as you were talking, John, what sprung to my mind was the Ben Darwin team evolution theory. And uh, I don't know if anyone's ever listened to any of his podcasts, but he's an ex Wallaby. And he talks a lot about team synergy and that that's really, he's done a lot of research into team successes. And that's really the only measure that all the really successful teams had in common was how many games did the same players play together over, you know, the the, the years. Because, you know, if you know where your teammate's going to be and when, and they know where you're going to be and when, then that's what creates success. So it's, it's interesting that you went there. Yeah, I, I remember uh, you shared a was it an interview or an article um, of, of his with me. Yeah, um, and yeah, that that was uh, yeah really good insight. And and look, I, this isn't me trying to curtail expectations, but expectations. But even if you look at if we just look at the team that's that's picked for for tomorrow, we've got the four guys that are coming from other clubs. We've also got Sardis, who's only played four games. Uh, well, four games at senior level. I know he played a few at VFL level, and and Reed who is basically, uh, you know, he hasn't played for two years. So uh, I, I don't necessarily know whether Sardis will be there come round one. Uh, it's going to depend a little bit on availability. But if you include Reed in that mix, we foreseeably have five new players out of 22 or 23 in our round one side. So it, it, unfortunately, uh, there's no magic wand that's just going to make that click straight away. We're, we're going to need to see some continuity before we play our our absolute best football. And, and you know, that's probably the difference between us being that, you know, sixth to 12th bracket that that log jam and being in that one to four five bracket uh where we we ultimately want to be i think just on that that team synergy point i think freeman is a really good example of what happens when you do change your team around a fair bit i think they had the second most uh second biggest change in terms of what their their 22 was like in in 2022 and their, their best side was in in 23 in terms of minutes played from the from the previous year and they just really struggled to build that build that synergy. That's it's probably my biggest concern. One of my biggest concerns going into this year, just that introduction of all those new players. Um, will that take a long time to click and, and to gel? And, and does, you know, if, if things don't start well, because they aren't playing, playing together or they're not used to playing together at that stage, does that, you know, lead to us, you know, falling down the ranks fairly quickly in pre in the, in the early season before maybe getting it together in, in the second half. That's a, is a potential, concern to, to keep an eye out for when, when we put the uh, notification that we were doing this up on the Patreon, we did ask for patrons who may not have been able to attend to 
put any questions up. And, and one question we got was from uh, one of our new patrons, uh, Blake Settle. Um, and he asked us about uh, intercept differential and, and marking intercept differential. Um, it's something that we we talk a lot of a lot about. Something I harp on a, a lot because I just think it's a really clear measurement of whether you're going to be a successful scientist if you're doing well in, in that metric. Um, and he wants to know what sort of things we can Im- improve in that area, or, or what sort of things we should be looking for to improve in that area. Um, and as just just when I was going into preparing for this this show, I, I wrote some stuff down for this. So I, I do want to get it out. And then John is sort of going to go into detail about what it, what the stats that I'm bringing up mean and and how that how that plays out. So um, you know, I think intercept differentials are a really good stat because I think it it demonstrates both how well your offensive and defensive ends are functioning. Um, so last year, Essen was ranked 15th. The intercept differential was only above the Suns, Eagles, and, and Kangaroos, so really poor in this area. Um, and I guess if you break intercept differential down to its constituent parts, it's how well do you win the ball back off your opponent and then compare that to how well do you keep the ball as you as you move forward and, and avoid turnover. Um, so basically, it's, it's the rate you, you turn the ball over per possession and then the rate you win the ball back off opponent's possession. So I, I did some calculations. If you look at the offensive aspect, Essendon only gave the ball back with a turnover from their possession 18.9% of the time they had the ball. So that was actually the fifth best in the league. So for comparison, Collingwood was third at 17.97. Um, but other teams that were ahead include Hawthorne, Fremantle, and the Bulldogs, which are, were all non-finalists. If you look at the other end, Essendon was only able to generate an intercept on 18.05% of opposition's possessions, and that was only a better ratio than the Kangaroos and Eagles. So by comparison, the Magpies were, were 19th, sorry, were ninth with 19%, but but high teams that finished up the top of the ladder, like the Demons, Giants, and Blues, all uh, had over 20% of opposition possessions uh, turning into a turnover. So they're not huge differences, but they're significant enough. And I think just going back to that first stat of how often we were turning the ball over and, you know, on the surface that looks quite good. But I think it's inflated by the fact we're playing a fairly heavy mark style and and holding onto the ball. Uh, We took the second most marks on average last year at over 100. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Brisbane, you know, a goal away from being premiers were third with 98 marks. But the difference between us and Brisbane was the other way. So Essendon gave away 100 marks per game on average whereas Brisbane only gave away 88. So if you're going to control the ball in the air, you have to have a positive differential in that aspect. Otherwise, you're just just breaking even. But again, it really depends on the style of game you want to play. Collingwood gave away more marks than they took, but they won the premiership because it worked with their style. They were were happy to slow teams down, make them kick around the back line and and then get the ball back and and stream forward to more efficiently. So I think there's a lot to read into intercept differential. That marks part is only one part of it. Johnny, just sort of returning to Blake's question, what do you see um, as ways in which we can improve that aspect of our game? Yeah, I, I think you, you've you covered a lot of it, mate. It, it, ultimately, the intercept's just an endpoint, isn't it? it? It's it's what happens that leading up to it. So, so barring a genuine uncontested skill error from an opponent that, that leads to them giving the ball back, I think it's all about some of the the themes that you and, and Blake in his question mentioned that then correlates to to stats or, or metrics or whatever you want to call it that that ultimately increase the number of times you win the ball back from from the opposition. Uh, what I would 
like to see is an increase in, in intercepts per game, of course, but whilst ultimately in, uh, reducing the, the number of opposition inside 50s per game, I, I think, and that can come from an improved structure behind the ball. We, we've talked about, you know, that Mackay and, and Reid uh, partnership and what that might allow Ridley to do and, and get the best out of him. Uh, but that also comes from an improved um uh, you know, structure around the contest, more numbers at the contest, and and not just at stoppages, but at every contest around the ground. Uh, in our um, Patreon video, for those that have seen it uh, on Gresham, we we spoke, or I spoke a little bit about the work that he does to get from contest to contest to contest. Uh, and Dersma is someone who who's quite the same. So we've we've brought in a couple of guys that can help with that, uh, and that you know that that should help us to do a better job of slowing the opposition down, force them wider, put more pressure on them. Um, and then, yeah, ultimately it just all happens in different ways, doesn't it? You mentioned Brisbane, Hume, and the number of marks they took. What that also did was help their set up behind the ball. It, it meant that they weren't giving it back so easily. It, it also helped that they had, uh, you know, again, we touched on it at the start, five, six, seven different forwards who were all genuine goal threats. You couldn't sit off any Brisbane forward because each of them were capable of kicking three or four in a game or, or more. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it, it's ultimately just a sum of all of those parts. And, and ultimately what we want to see, I think, is is reducing, uh, increasing our intercepts as a, a byproduct or, or as a means of, of reducing the number of inside 50s that we're um, conceding. So if we look at the least number of inside 50s conceded in the comp last year, it was uh, it was Brisbane with 47 a game, Geelong was second with 48, Collingwood third, 49. So the grand finals are in the top three. And then Melbourne, who I know they went out in straight sets, but, uh, you know, <laughs> They could have easily, well, with a little bit of luck, their way made a grand final. Uh, they lost two finals in, in close ones. They were also at 49 uh, a game. So the, the top three sides were were right up the top. We conceded the fourth most at 55.8. So we're conceding or, or giving effectively giving our opponents, you know, somewhere between six or eight more opportunities per game to score than the grand finalists were. That's, you know, that's two a quarter. Uh, so... You know, if we can improve that um, at the margins through all of those parts, then yeah, I think for me more than anything else this year that that that'll be the number one measure that I'm I'm hoping we can um, we can improve on. Hopefully that answered your your question, Blake. We it, it can be a bit confusing going through a whole heap of numbers, but hopefully it's made sense to to you and everyone. We're going to have one final question before going to our final thought of the night. Uh, Matt, you had a question about uh, a choice between two particular players. Yeah, well, um, I think it's probably been on a lot of people's minds, including the coaching staff. Um, I suppose that had Baldwin not got injured, would have been the same question down back. Do you play Reed or Baldwin? I'm both very inexperienced, but um, the question is more about uh, forward line. So Caddy versus um, Jones now. Jones has got the runs on the board. He had a good season a few years ago. You'd think you've got to go with him first, but you know, by all reports, you know, Caddy's tearing the tearing the place down at training. So, I mean, we, we all want another James Heard running around the forward line or something that exciting. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the group thinks. I mean, he's obviously going to get his chance. Um, and Brad said today he's not going to hold him back. Um, they'll probably just manage him. You know, fifteen games, sixteen games, or something. But. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I've never really been sold on on Jones. I think he's just 
he just looks a step slow to me and uh, both physically and, you know, with his um, sort of, you know, the footy IQ. So I, I'm pretty keen to see Caddy. I don't know what, what the rest of you think. Yeah, look, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to to see him as well. It, it, to I, I know it's sort of a moot point now because uh, unfortunately he's got himself injured and, and he's going to be out for a while. But I, I'm not sure that that Baldwin was competing with Reed for a spot. I, I think Reed, that that second key defender position, genuine sort of tall key defender position, is Reed's. I, I sort of sit Baldwin a little bit more in the medium defender who can play tall. I, I think uh, I don't think he. We ultimately want someone who's 193 centimetres playing on, you know, guys like Harry Mackay and Larkey and, and those guys who were 200 and 205 centimetres tall. Otherwise, we we probably just would have kept playing Laverde in that role and we wouldn't have gone out and, and chased uh, Ben Mackay. So uh, I think Mackay and Reid are, are going to be the two that we build that around. And, and then it was a question on, on does Baldwin play that flexible uh, you know, seventh defender on on the bench who can come in and play a multiple, um, uh, you know, multiple roles. You know, fill in. You know, allow our keys to to rest, and or um, you know, play a little bit smaller when needed, and, and probably you know, competing against the likes of even Heppel and and Laverde and Jake Kelly for for that position. So I, I sort of see those two differently. Look, I I I don't think any of us know. Uh, what Caddy's going to be capable of, I, I think he, yeah, it's terribly exciting. The, the one bit for me in, in sort of hosing down expectations a little bit is if we just have a, a quick look at the key forwards that were drafted in you know the top 10 in recent years. So Cadman was picked number one. He played 12 games last year, didn't have a huge impact. Uh, JMS played three games in his first season, then came out last year and, and had a really good year. Jamari Hager was picked one, played five games in his first year. Luke Jackson played six. The King brothers played zero and 14, respectively. And Fogarty played 10 games in, in his first year, then four in his second, 10 in his in his third. We know Kerno took a while to get going as well. So, uh, I'll, I'll yeah, for me, I think um, if we get – six, 10, 12 games out of him and he he's able to play another, you know, six to 10 games at VFL level and just, yeah, improve his fitness, improve his his body and, and get a little bit more mature, then I think that that's a really exciting build for, yeah, he's not going to play his best footy until four or five years' time. So I don't think we need to, to see him play 20 games this year. Yeah, is it a, a case of it's it's one or the other, Caddy or Jones? They can't play in the same team, can they? Unless we unless we got unless Langford goes down or something. Yeah, not if if Langford and and Wright are also playing. I I wouldn't think. Um, yeah, I I don't think so. And then you've got the the two ruckmen or one and um, you know Stringer and. Perkins, yeah, Perkins is pretty good at ground level, but he's still a, you know, sort of does his best work forward marking. So, yeah, it, it gets pretty tall and, and bulky. I, I'm sure we'll see them both at 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 times, but um, but yeah, maybe maybe not all that often. Yeah, I, I, I'm I not think- sure. I'm not sorry, Jimmy. Just to to finish, I'm not sure Jones, given his injury history, is ready to play 23 games this season plus finals. You know, touch yeah, wood either. So, I think they're both. You know, ideally, we we get thirty games out of them between them, and and I think that would be a really good outcome. Yeah, I I said this when I did our best twenty three episode, but 
I think if we play two Ruckman, I just don't see how we can we can play either of them, to be honest, um, without being too tall. Johnny sort of mentioned the, the medium forward situation. You you don't you want to play both Stringer and, and Perkins in the side. And then if you you're also putting in a with two Ruckman, you're also putting in a, a Caddy or a Jones, suddenly you, you're gonna have to push out midfielders or small forwards, and I just don't see them doing that. So I wouldn't be surprised if neither played at the start of the year. Well, look, we're going to move on to our final thought now. And this is where we're going to be asking uh, everyone who's uh, online with us right now to give us a one-word answer on how many wins Essendon end the season. It'll be interesting to see how likely we are correct. Uh, We've been pretty positive this evening and and pretty having pretty high expectations of where the team will be at. Um, So we're just going to go through one at a time with, with all the listeners and just as I said, one word, how many wins will Essendon have? So we're going to start with Craig. How many wins will Essendon have this year? Uh, 13 and a half. Thanks, Craig. Uh, Derek, you're next. 11. 11. Gail, you're next. 14. 14. 14. Thanks, Gail. James? 13. 13 from James. Jamie? 14 for me. 14 for Jamie. Luke? 15 for me. Uh, Matt? Well, I was going to say 15, but I'll go 16 then. <laughs> Every, everyone's um, everyone's raising the stake. John? Uh, 12. 12. And go back round to Jono? I said 11 last year, Hume. I just went back to the running sheet from last year to check. Uh, I'm going 13 this year, so let's see if I can get it right two years in a row. Yeah, I think I'm about the same. I think natural progression and increased depth of the list should see at least two wins. So I think 13 is at least the floor of what we should be getting this coming match, year. Match, match Carlton's year this year. And flog them again this year. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to win that game again. Well, look, that'll do us for tonight. Thanks to everyone who's joined us for tonight's Q&A and, and put in a question before the show. Um, we love doing these. We'll be having another one during the mid-season bye. Um, so hopefully um, many of you can join us for that. Now, a bit of an announcement. Uh, we're going to be recording. This has been recorded the night before our first practice match against St Kilda. Uh, tomorrow night, John and I will be coming together to give our thoughts on what we've seen. We're going to be starting an instant reaction show. Um we're aiming, going to be aiming to do regular post-match shows covering our initial thoughts on the game uh, to be released as soon as possible following the completion of the match. Now, for the St Kilda game and the, also the Geelong preseason game, we're going to release them on the main feed just to give everyone a taste, but uh, they are going to become a Patreon exclusive for the regular season. Um, so another reason for people to join up. Again, we, we just want to provide as much... people If people are willing to give us you know their hard-earned cash, we want to make sure that they're getting value for money. Um, as always, though, the regular Thursday night show um, will always remain free for everyone to listen to at the same time. Uh, any final thoughts from you, Jono? No, mate, not a lot. Uh, looking forward to, well, like I said last week, not necessarily going to Moorabbin, but uh, but certainly looking forward to seeing some footy live. Uh, thanks again to everyone for their support and those that joined tonight. Thanks to you, Humi, for keeping us organised. And, yeah, as I said, looking forward to seeing some Don's faces out at, out at the footy tomorrow. Well said, mate. Well, look, thanks again, everyone. Stay safe and go Dons.